DCC podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to another episode of the ECC podcast. And as we flick over from March into April, hope springs eternal for the senior side of the ECC. We've seen the back of our pre-season bunker at Notting Hill and West Ealing as pre-season training moves outside. On today's episode, we have club legend David Holt joining us as our special guest. And we also catch up with three's head scout Barnaby Harrison as he returns from a stint looking at the England lads out in Granada. Alongside a couple of our regular segments, we hope to catch up with one super Christian Martin. Finally, is the start of the outdoor training looms large. My name is Mungo Russell, and as always, I'm joined by my mentor, my co-host, and someone who simultaneously feels like an older and younger brother, Lee Parry. Lee P, how are we? Are you able to explain that last bit to me? Because it's it's very difficult to take in. I don't know how that I don't I don't know how that's possible. It's because you're you're a, you're a mentor to me and and you're guiding me through life, but you're young at heart. And sometimes I feel like I'm I'm trying to I have to curb your your enthusiasm. Uh, and sometimes I just let that roam free. Your your intelligence worries me, if I'm honest. But good to be back. Um, literally still still trying to come off the high from the uh, from the Lord's dinner. Um, and I hope the uh, the listeners enjoyed hearing. Uh, some great legends and, and stories about what's been going on. And uh, Mungo, I bet you agree, um, roll on the next 150 years. Roll on the next 150 years. Can't wait to be there for the 300th. I'm going to cryo-freeze, I think, once I get to 80 so I can be there and I can MC that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. So I want to be Roger's successor. Well, tidbits from training this week. We have a couple of responses to, to the 150th about how, especially if we speak to Scott Entham, how he recovered from that. So that's something to look forward to for everyone else. And we we have a pretty busy episode this week. Um, it's at that weird point. Isn't it? Can you can you guarantee can you guarantee Christian is on today? Because obviously um, we're getting a bit of slack for this. If I'm honest, um, there's, there's there's been there's been a, an outreach from the people, and the people want to hear. Um, tell tell me the truth. What's what's going on? Have we got him? Is he has he got something for us? Why why does he keep uh, why does he keep such a low profile? He's a very private person. Let me lead with that. Christian Martin's a very private person. Okay. He, do, he doesn't like to speak. He doesn't like to talk at all, really, actually. To get anything from him is a challenge, even without a recording, a camera. So there, I can make no promises in this life. None. What I will say is that we will get him on, and I think today's the day. I, I think from, 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 the last, from the last episode, I was, I was so excited about hearing, you know, the recording that we did with him in the interview. And again, to be cut short, um, you know, it really... He's such a he's such a he's such a great man of the club. Now we do need to hear him. But anyway, we 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 can get to that. Um, Mungo, what's going on today? What what isn't going on today? We got all we got our regular bits. We're we're hearing from AJ again. It's been another great week for him. I'm, I imagine. I hope. Uh, we are, as I said, heading down to Tidbits from training for our last week indoors at Notting Hill and West Ealing. Uh, we've never actually mentioned on the pod just how but far below ground that bunker is. By the way, it is it's a cavern. In the middle, it's been dug out of the floor, seven, eight flights of stairs. Anyway, just giving you guys a picture. We have we have our first foreign, we have a foreign report from the West Indies of all places. Barnaby Harrison's gone out there. He's he's looked for some for some threes players out in Granada and he's gonna report back. Is the interview done in a West Indian accent by any chance? Because I know a lot of people who if you go to a, a different country, a different place, you, you come back sounding different. Uh, having spoken to him, does is, is there much change? I wouldn't say it's it's an external change. It's not something that you that you'd hear from Barn or see in him that's different. I just think he's a, he's culturally a different person now. And we end up with stat of the week, 
and then what an interview we had with David Holt. That was that was we had that just recently. We spoke to him, and that was a real pleasure. So, without further ado, I think we absolutely crack on. Do you want to once again lead a scribe for our listeners? What goes on with AJ's Word of the Week? So. AJ's Word of the Week, what I've actually started to realise is that when I do ask him what his Word of the Week is, he sneakily scans the room and picks an object. I actually don't think, uh, but I'm, I'm going to work on this, I actually don't think it's actually his Word of the Week. It's what he physically sees in front of him and just decides that that's his Word of the Week. Having said that, it's a beautiful thing to listen to. So AJ, what's your Word of the Week? My Word of the Week is sunglasses! Thanks, AJ. Why don't we head down to Notting Hill and West Ealing for the last time and hear how some of the boys were getting on in our last indoor session. Scotty, first hit of the winter. Yes. In the context of you know, Lord's dinner Friday night just gone, is this the sort of physical exercise you needed to finally get rid of the demons from Friday night? No. <laughs> Short answer. Um, no. Did spend a long time on Saturday on the sofa, though I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was a rough Saturday. It was a rough Saturday. I even missed part of the Chelsea game. I was that tired. Sacrilege. Just dreadful. I, w- I woke up as the second goal went in, so I didn't even see any goals live. <laughs> what a day! How are you hitting them? Happy to be back hitting some cricket balls. Um, yeah, it's always nice to know the summer is approaching, but um, early season hitting is difficult. Um, yeah, you know, you've got to really love playing to be hitting at this time of the year, I think, and I do love playing. <laughs> That's good. It's, I'm glad that you've managed to keep that love for the game. Do you want to talk them through the only ball I flinged at you, or, or should I? Um, well, you were apprehensive about flinging it, and I should have known at that point this was either going to be in my head or halfway down the pitch, and it was flat at my head. It was flat. Thankfully, it, it missed by. It was actually probably a bit high. I was, yeah, you're right. For me, it was plenty high. I, I, felt, I would have felt unlucky if you'd hit me. <laughs> I might have grilled those or Milo. Yes, but being better players, they probably would have yeah, also pulled it for six true. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I was more worried about self-preservation. <laughs> here with Rory Patel, one of the stalwarts of pre-season training. Been here every week. I imagine you've been feeling the benefits of that as we've gone through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to get the rust off from last season, obviously. you know, As, as you previously mentioned in podcast, the top scorer four at Popesfield. Um, yeah. It's just nice to get on something that actually bounces and comes through, you know. Mm. Hit some cricket ball as well. Uh, hopefully, hopefully fortunes can be changed this season on a title run for the threes. Well, I feel um, something I guess I want to ask is when when you're going about trying to change a, a record like that at home games last year, is is that more a mental thing or more a just hit a lot of balls thing? Oh, it's absolutely a mental thing. Mm. Um, you, know, you can hit as many balls as you want, but I'm going to wake up that Saturday morning. I'm going to pit my stomach. I'm going to be nervous on the drive there. I might get heads drive me, to be honest, because I don't want to cause any accidents or anything like that. So my head will just be in a different space. My head mm. will be on that first ball coming down. Um, so, yeah, no, it's going to be a pure mental thing. It's something I need to get over. Um, and hopefully we can do that early season and push on hard for the boys this year. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if you get to five in the first couple of weeks, that'll probably set you up pretty well mentally for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, there's, not, there's no real doubt that... That once I once I make it past four, double figures is the next. It's, mm. it's, it's realistic, you know. Um, so I've just got to keep plugging away, keep keep training hard, and have no excuses. Come come that first new ball, you know. Uh, can't wait, can't wait. We're here with a new ECC recruit. His name is Glenn. Glenn, what's your full name? Glenn Kopak. How old are you? I'm 30 years old. And what is your cricketing trait of choice? Cricketing trait? Yeah. You mean like 
skill. I mean, I guess I guess that was a really weird way of asking you to bat your bowl, your field, your keep. Keep a bat, keep a bat. Keep a bat, lovely. Keep and bat. where have we found you from? So I played for uh, Tatton Hall CC up in Cheshire for five years or so. Yeah, and moved down here just before Christmas. So good to join such a reputable club. Oh, man, it's very kind of you, very kind of you. And uh, what do you do for work, Glenn? So I work for the NHS. I work in a hospital. I'm not a doctor or a nurse. I... Uh, I'm basically an accountant, so I work in finance. Wonderful. NHS, yeah. That's both sides of the coin. Not only do you gain favour by working with I get working applause. with ill people, you get, yeah, the applause, get the applause and you also work in finance. Yeah, so yeah. you sort of balance each other out pretty so, well. Yeah, yeah. It looks good on Tinder. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Glenn. Lovely to meet you. Cheers. Thanks for that. Great to hear from Maury Patel there on on how he plans to go about combating his HQ conundrum, his Pokes field trauma. Did he get more than four runs at Notting Hill in the net, do you know? I'm just, I'm concerned, obviously, this is going to be a running theme and our, you, know, you want a boost of confidence before another great season starts. Did he, did, did he look good, man? Oh, Rory's been looking fantastic. As we said, speaking to him, he's one of the stalwarts of the preseason. He said a lot of balls. Sure, it's an HQ problem he has. Uh, it's very specific to Pope's field. It's home is where the heart is. And I just don't know if his heart's in at home. Apparently one of the, one of the best bowlers uh, I've been told um, off the bat. So, you know, as a net, uh, as a net batter, Rory's your man. I'm here with Barnaby Harrison, an ECC third 11 player and scout who's just been in Granada doing some reconnaissance ahead of the gruelling season ahead. Barn, welcome to the pod. Did you have your eye on any good players lying around over there? Hi Mungo, hi Lee, thanks for having me on. So yeah, obviously we were a bit disappointed with our mid-table finish in the threes last season. Um, so I've been scouting the world for new talent to strengthen the side this year. And actually, uh, yeah, on my travels, I saw a couple of lads who looked right at home down at Popesfield on a Saturday. They're called Dan Lawrence and Craig Overton. I look forward to meeting those two boys at the ECC at Corfton after the game. And after the game is actually the subject of my next question. We're getting dangerously close to the post-match Saturday evening circuit, so to speak. Anything the West London circuit can learn from its Grenadian cousin? So I'd say the Grenadian circuit is a cheaper circuit. Uh, it takes itself less seriously. And uh, best of all about the places out there, it doesn't have Henry Anton throwing up outside the front of them. Which is, of course, the benefit of any circuit. Uh, I suppose, given that we're going to do a weekly third 11 pitch report, Barn, anything that you could glean from the deck out there in Granada? Anything that you feel like we should be feeding back to Ollie and Gareth before a weeks and weeks of hard grueling work on the, at, at HQ. Well, the problem with us in the threes, Mungo, is that when push comes to shove, we've all got very, very poor techniques. Um, we're incapable of playing the moving ball, um, a bit like the English batsman. Um, and so if Ollie and Gareth could uh, just dig up a section of the M1 and um, slap it down at HQ for us come the 1st of May, then that'd be fantastic. Well, Barn, we'll have a chat with the trustees and see how much money they're willing to spend on that particular transaction. M1 through to Pokesfield should be doable if the budget stretches. Uh, speaking of roads, first of all, though, you posted your Instagram recently, something that we want to actually get onto our Instagram, if that's okay with you, your, your first rock of the season. Um, anything you want to speak through, what was going through your head before you faced your first ball, were you aware of that? And, and tell the listeners the story of, of, of what happened next and the action that, that bowled it, quote unquote. Yeah, so we are in a bar the night before this game and um, it was billed as a David Gower Select 11 versus a Locals 11. Um, so we turned up the next day really just hoping to watch, but um, 
what it turned out to be was a kind of just a fun sort of almost like a part game, nothing to do with get David Gower really, although he did eventually turn up. Um, sort of anyone could field, anyone could bowl, anyone could have a bat. Um, so when it was my turn at the crease, um, I picked up the bat and I had a million thoughts running through my head. But the primary one was, you know, let's not be a sitting duck here, let's impose yourself on this attack. Because I think what I did too much last season was I was a sitting duck and I just sat there against the likes of Jean Ferry from Richmond and you just know eventually there's going to be a ball coming down with your name on it. So I'm trying to impose myself. My eyes light up as this thing comes down the track and I tried to hit it most of the way to Barbados. Um, unfortunately, things didn't work out. The next thing I know, I'm looking back and my stumps are a mess. Uh, but anyway, good to get the cobwebs off and um, hopefully a lesson before we get to HQ in May. Well, Ben, like, it's just as simple as like you play your own game, right? And obviously, if imposing yourself on the game is what you're going to do this year, then every now and again, you're, you're going to suffer a straight ball first up. And there's nothing you can do about those, those pesky straight ones. I have heard a rumour, however, that on your travels abroad, you came across a gentleman that knew of the ECC. Is that true? Yeah, that's right, Mungo. Um, a man called Brian Benjamin, um, who uh, ran a restaurant in St George's, the um, main town in Grenada, and he said that he used to run a restaurant in Ealing um, back when he used to live in the UK. So um, he had some wise words of advice for the threes this year. Um, and the gist of it was that if we, uh, and I quote, stay at the crease, the runs will come. Um, and I thought that was a pretty novel thought from Brian. Um, and yeah, let's hope we can put it into action this summer. Um, certainly one worth giving a try. Well, that's very kind of Brian to offer you lads some advice. Not that you need it, I'm sure. I've been reliably informed by Rory Patel that you lads are set up well for a title charge. So I'm sure that Brian's advice won't fall on deaf ears. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And we look forward to seeing you over the summer. And happy scouting until then. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mungo. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, Rumours of a title charge um, definitely have some grounding. Um, we'll see how we go in the summer. Thanks a lot. Lovely to hear from Barn there. Hopefully we'll have more tours and tales from across the season. And as we alluded to in that segment, that third 11 weekly pitch report is something we're all very excited to be to be having on the podcast exceptionally soon. Leapy, maybe this is a good time for, for us to think about like what you're most looking forward to with the podcast over the coming over the coming weeks and months as we move outside. What's nice is um, we've got, <clears throat> I had a look today actually, um, we've got a good following um, on our Insta, uh, Instagram page and, and Twitter. And again, um, as I said before, if you guys do have any, any questions, any thoughts or any ideas you'd like to run, uh, run by us, please do leave it in the uh, comment boxes on our Twitter page or our Instagram page. We would love to hear from you. Anything is above board. We're happy to answer any of your questions and we're there to help. Um, without further ado, I feel like it's time we throw across to our special guest. We've got to that time in the episode where we welcome on our special guest, our centrepiece of the special. We have this week, wow, as always, we're going to start with the stats, and these are some stats. Our guest this week is 228 Premier League matches with 4,422 runs, an average of a smidge under 28. 27 League 50s and three League tons with the highest of 134 not out. He's a four-time league winning captain, an all-round ECC icon, but I'm sure he's most proud of playing for his country, France, of course, and his five first-class runs, 14 runs. And he managed all of this while supporting Aston Villa. David Holt, Holty, welcome to the ECC podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction, Mungo. It's an absolute pleasure. Good five, was it? Yeah, it was. Um, was it Neil Harris 
it used to be a quick bowler for knots. Um, absolutely did me away, away, away. And then I left it and it was an any and my middle pole went flying. But yeah, steady five. It was a good five. It was a good five. Uh, it was it was Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris, sorry. Having my research earlier. Um, why don't we start with with France? You did you played for France, yeah? I did. I did, yeah. It's a uh, long time ago. Thanks for reminding me actually. Yeah, I did uh, a brief stint for France before um I eventually couldn't play for them again based on the fact that I didn't live there and have perm- permanent residency. But no, I had an enjoyable, enjoyable short spell with them. Uh, even got a bowl, which, uh, which was probably the highlight, actually, of my, uh, my international career. As sexy as it is, David, and I always love it when you break into that French accent. Could you explain in your French accent what the French national team is called, please? Uh, le coq sportif. That is a phenomenal name. <laughs> That's such a good name. Why don't we Why don't we go back to the start, Dave? Um, when did you? What? How old were you when you joined Ealing? Uh, I was six. I was six. So um, yeah, been affiliated with Ealing um, as as you know my whole life. Um, started my career there. Um, my dad coached there. My mum. Started up the, uh, the 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 girls team there. She completely started it from scratch. So yeah, it's uh, it's got a, a special place in my heart. But um, I think everyone knows that it's uh, it's my boyhood club. And whilst you know there were opportunities to play elsewhere, Ealing was always always the uh, the one and only club for me. Yeah, I mean you've you've been there for such some time. I guess I guess you as much as anyone would be a good person to ask what you think makes Ealing a special place. There are so many people that stay for such a long period of time and so many cults that go on to decide to play senior cricket there. It's definitely something the club prides itself on. What do you think makes the club so well suited for cults going on and playing senior cricket? What do you think it does well in that regard? Yeah, well, you definitely touched on it. I think the, the, there's, it's no surprise that the correlation between the success of our men's team was probably when the production of youth cricket was at its finest i mean um for a club to win seven league titles in a row is um well pretty unheard of but it needs certain factors to all come together at the same time uh, not only do we have a talented um you know first and second eleven squads we also had every year we had one if not two Cults coming through every year: Harry Podmore, Nick, Ned Eckersley, Ollie Wilkin, Mallow, like all these, all these cults coming through year and year out. It was, it was fantastic. So not only did I have a, a team, a squad that was going to make themselves available every week, you always had one or two pushing through the cults every season. It was brilliant. I think through that seven-year um, winning spree that we went on. I think in a game, there was a maximum maybe three or four guys that hadn't started, um, me being one of them, that hadn't started that Ealing as a, as a cult and made, made the way uh, through to play first team cricket um, for the club itself. Um, myself, I think Sammy was one. And Simon Hawke. I think, it, I think it was you three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually, actually, for me, it actually felt more like a privilege to be part of this group of guys that had got to know each other so well and, and played cricket as as youngsters and and to to be brought in and and felt so just at home in a in a place where friendships just grew and became stronger i think was incredible and um like we when we spoke to beast about you know his memories um you know 
me, David, Peps, and uh, Hawkey and Beast recently all met up for a curry just on a Thursday evening. And that, that, that'll that never change because, you know, once once you make best mates on the cricket field, you play you play hard on and off it, don't you, David? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that, that, that's, that, that, you know, that's exactly what it was. We were best mates doing what we love doing on a Saturday and Sunday. Um, we, we found ways to make ourselves available, not only for Saturdays, but Sundays, um, which is why, you know, not only winning the league, we actually had really good cut runs as well. Obviously, the T20 being our first national trophy um, um, in 2013. It was, um, yeah, special times, best mates playing together, uh, playing very hard on the pitch and then enjoying ourselves off the pitch. Yeah, you've also touched on something else that, that Beast said there as well about that making yourself available. He said that one of the, one of the things that he felt was so important about that side is that like, sort of success breeds success and competition for places, as you said, first strong first and second team squads breeds competition for places and leaving for a week. I imagine it felt like, well, you just don't know whether you're going to get back in the side as well. Exactly, exactly that. I mean, you know, you can't deprive someone of a, a family holiday or a wedding or, or things like that. But I don't know whether it's different times or different attitudes, but back then it was, you knew when the cricket season was and you just made yourselves available. Um, it, that, it's as simple as that. I mean, um, and I was lucky enough to have the same squad um, to choose from week in, week out um, on a Saturday and a Sunday. It was, yeah, it was great. And, you know, I'm not, you know, it doesn't ha- it's not as, happen as much anymore, but back then that's how it was. And that, that was needed, I think, to be a successful side for so long. I think I remember um, at the beginning of one of the seasons, I think Holti gathered all the boys in the changing room and got them together and said, you can get married if you'd like to, as long as it's not during the cricket season. <laughs> yeah I wouldn't advise it was that an element when you took over from Beast did you feel like any sort of pressure actually I mean the clubs just won three in a row was there a bit of you at the start of that year when must must have been what 2008 2000 yeah so the um was it 2005 I think the our first of the seven so I think Arif I think Arif did the first year um his last year was our first year of the seven then Beast did three, and then and then and then I did three. And um, uh, you know what? Looking back on it, you would have thought, yeah, that I should have felt a bit under pressure to continue the run. But I don't know. I think I was. It was more a hunger to just um, to be a leader of that great group of people and carry on the success. I probably, I don't know. I was probably still too too young to feel to feel overwhelmed by it. I was probably saw it more of a challenge than. Um, than, than something to worry about. But it was just, you know, as I said, such a close-knit group of friends. Um, and to be able to be in charge of that group was um, was an absolute pleasure. And I was, yeah, I, was, I think it was more hunger than, um, than, than worry or anxiety, absolutely. Fond, fond memories that I sort of think about whenever I think about that era, David, is the, um, the Finchley White Middlesex bus that always used to be... Uh, a good trip with uh, with Lee Perry at the helm, uh, the Barbados trip, um, things like that. And again, it's it's just something you just you can't buy. It's, it was just an incredible time with with incredible friends who will who will never will never ever forget. And you know, we do have a WhatsApp group which we uh, which all the guys are on, which we call um, <laughs> ECC for life. Yeah. Um, and it's literally it, it means exactly that, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's um, 
it's a family it's a family right and um it's it's been an absolute pleasure to um to have been there since age six but still you know still be around the guys now you know i'm, I'm 40 now but still enjoying my cricket and i wouldn't still be playing if i didn't um it's different times now obviously my priorities in life have changed slightly with uh, with sebastian and all that but i wouldn't be playing if i didn't still enjoy it. and it's um it's that sort of club you know 20 24 34 geez, 34 years later uh, from joining that you know i still want to be turning out on a saturday it's uh, shows what, what what a club it is so i was doing some real nerdery looking through play cricket and some stats and uh, I was having a look through your year-on-year -year stats, little things like that, and I found that a lot of your top scores every year were not out. It, every year from 2009 to 2014, your highest score in the league was not out. And I was wondering, is that a product of where you might have batted in the batting order for most of those, for those years? Um, or is it something, did you pride yourself on seeing things through? Was that something that you really valued in yourself as a batter? So, so first of all, great badgery there for you that's uh that's good, good setting but um yeah i think i think that that says a lot about what the sort of sort of batsman i was um my runs were were scored um i'd like to think under pressure situations that needed um someone to to bat all the way through if i went in at five and we were 200 for three uh with five overs to go before we declared money on me getting nothing um, but I'd like to think if we were 10 for three, uh, chasing 220, then I was the sort of person that, that would relish that opportunity. Um, hence, potentially why why the majority of my high scores were not out. Shall we get on to um, your cricket at the moment, Dave? You're looking to play again this summer? Yeah, yeah, look, I, as you know, I turned 40 at Christmas and I, you know, as I, as I alluded to earlier, my priorities have massively changed. Um, Sebastian is the, the the center of pretty much everything I do these days but you're a long time retired right and Louise has um, seen that I still enjoy it um, and whilst it takes up large parts of your your Saturdays and, and sometimes Sundays whilst I'm still enjoying it I think it makes sense to to keep playing um, so my, my intention is to is keep playing. Hopefully, I won't be needed to 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 play ones as, as much as that's the team I want to play in. Hopefully, the the ones will um will, will be fine, and I can I can fit into that forty plus uh, category with Lee, Fares, Asan, and uh, others in in the in the twos. But we'll see. We'll see how the, we'll see how it pans out. This next question, I think, is maybe it's quite difficult for you to for you to answer because I imagine cricket and Ealing are so intertwined in your life, but from what it sounds like, it really like it is cricket that's bringing you back as much as Ealing. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's a bit of both. I mean, you know, Ealing has been a massive part of my life since I was six years old. It's um, um, strangely enough, I I'd say it's played a big part in where I am um, in my vocation in life. You know, whilst banking doesn't necessarily have... Um, a direct connection to cricket. I think the the way that the cricket club has moulded me and developed me as a person as well since I was six years old, being around other people, the team environment, uh, the team ethos, everything like that. I think it's moulded me into into the person I am today because it's probably the place apart from home where I spent my most amount of time. So I feel I feel indebted to the club at the same time. So whilst I'm 
I'm still hungry for for the game. I still want to be around my mates and playing cricket. And if I'm going to do that on a Saturday, you know, for me, there's nowhere better than Ealing. You know, I'm, you know, lucky enough to still be playing with guys that I played with 20 years ago, 25 years ago. But I'm also, you know, playing with new people who are obviously extremely talented and um and it's a you know joy to be around. I probably probably don't hang around at the ground and uh, chin chin pints like I used to. Um, I'm more of a uh, cheers guys. Um, go home, give my son a bath, and go to bed, and wake up very uh, very sore. But um, it's it's still it's still very very enjoyable. So we 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 like to finish all of these interviews that we're going to do with with three questions that we do end up asking everyone, and that's favorite away ground, best tea. And then a match you remember. Okay. In that order? In that order, please, if you may, David Holzer. All right. So favourite away ground. Uh, good question. Um, so we, um, back in the day, there was a competition called the Evening Standards. We, um, we t- it was a teams, London-based teams mainly, that we were normally very good um, and successful in. We, we got to the Oval where the final was held every year. We got there three times and uh, we'd lost the first two that I was there, but I got, uh, I scored 50 plus both games. And then the game we actually won, I I think I finished about five, six, not out. Um, plum LBW as well, Lee, in the first ball I faced, if it were not given, uh, you probably remember. Um, but yeah, so away grounds, probably having played there three times and and scored runs and, and my last time there being successful in terms of winning the game, um, probably my favourite away ground. When it comes to the league, Finchley was always a ground I, I enjoyed batting on. I thought it was a true cricket wicket, um, something in it for the bowlers. But as a batter, if you get in, there's runs to be had. Um, and probably Teddington, just purely because it, back in the day, Ealing Teddington was the the Manchester United Liverpool of uh, of uh, Premier League um, Middlesex cricket was a real you know, somewhere you wanted to go and you wanted to win. Um, so probably that as a the away ground uh, t- was t- was it Tees next? Um, yeah, yeah. Tees, there's no doubt. Um, Stanmore, the um, it, like I mean, you've got you've got the. Uh, You've got the legend that's Mark, who who runs the cricket there, and his, and his lovely wife, who basically dedicates um, her Saturdays to making sure the the boys are well fed, and the food there since since I was a cult um, has been exceptional. Um, not my favourite place to play, uh, but when it comes to teas, um, absolutely incredible. Um, and East Coast, they they haven't been in the league in the Premier League for a while, but they always put on a uh, really good spread pre-game as well. There'd be bacon sandwiches uh, on arrival, which was uh, always nice. You wouldn't know this because you haven't heard it yet. Or we had a chat to Beast, and you have given the three exact answers that Beast had given with regards to favourite <laughs> ground being Finchley. Uh, I think it was Stephanie Ryangold, wasn't it? Yeah, we were speaking about yeah. does an amazing job down the with all the uh, the great food that she does. Um, East Coast as well was mentioned. Um, so there's a bit of a trend here, Monk. A little bit of a trend. We're taking some notes. We're going to document all this up, and we're going to have a. We're going to be able to give this as a pamphlet to people in a couple of months' time. <laughs> they can enjoy it. Um, and a match to remember, Dave. Oh, so I mean, in 
in 34 years can i can i just give you one i mean it's pretty pretty impossible can i give you three can i just give you three quickly chelmsford i can't i can't not mention i mean it was the club's first national national title under lights um that sent us to barbados so that has to be in there and then um next to my bed i've got two cricket balls that um that probably mean the most thing to me in cricket um that i you know i sleep next to every night which is um the um chelmsford and um the seventh year that we won the um the league at home um really good friend of mine carlos nunez who captains twickenham unfortunately us winning that game sent them down at the same time um but that was the seventh year in a row we won the league. I got 73 and um, Peps was bowling. They were nine down. We had everyone around the bat. I was at silly point, um, helmet on and um, inside edge, uh, loopy diving catch to uh, to win the league for the seventh year in a row. And that was, um, yeah, that would certainly take some beating. That was... Uh, Pretty special. So yeah, I've got those two. I've got the pink ball from the national and the uh, the red ball from the Twickenham seventh year in a row game. That um, that that are there for a reminder every night to me. Yeah, that's, those are pretty special memories. Special special memories. I mean, I for me, like that that seven year stretch gets lost in a wash of Ealing victories, but it doesn't. I've never really heard the stories about how close some of those were and last day finishes. And I can only imagine what it would feel like. Um, Dave, you've been an absolute pleasure. Honour, absolute honour. And I'm sure we'll both be seeing you very shortly in the flesh as the season rolls around. Thank you so much for your time on this pretty windy, grim March evening. Indeed, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy pre-season. I'll see you in May. See you in May. Cheers, boys. And that's it. It's the end of the podcast, unfortunately. No, no, no. Don't do this to me again. Don't do this to me again. Lee, I'm really sorry. I, I was looking at the timings this week and we just didn't have time to fit Ealing one skipper Christian Martin onto the show. I, I, I generally, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this, Mark. If this, if this continues, I, I'm going to have to think about my position on this, on this podcast and, and, and seriously think about being on this because at the end of the day, it saddens me. It's just not... It's not no, but, <laughs> I mean, if we can't get the Ealing one skipper onto this podcast at some stage, then we aren't doing it right. So we will get Christian onto the show but as we like to say here at the ECC podcast, there's always next week. That's all from me. It's all from me. Good night. Night. The ECC podcast. <laughs>